What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalkInc.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with today. <coughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to introduce Jack first, but uh, we have a special guest today. I, I kind of love when things come together at the last minute. This literally, for anyone listening, this literally came together at like midnight yesterday when we were playing poker. And I discovered <laughs> that our special guest today is a huge fan of this movie, Twin Peaks Fire. Walk with me, Mr. Brett. How are you? Hey, how are you guys doing? Yeah, it's Brett from Toy Box Productions, all that fun stuff. And yeah, Twin Peaks is one of my favorite things that exists, and this movie's in my top ten, so I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome. And of course, after his shift ended at the bar, Mr. Jack Renault. Yeah, that was my first thought when I watched the show. I was like, they really had to give one of the biggest pieces of shit in the movie <laughs> a name that's very phonetically similar to mine. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for having me. Uh, quite new to the world of Twin Peaks, that's for sure. But like I've mentioned to you, a lot of times this show pretty much has just consumed me over the last like year or so. So It's um, full disclosure. I mean, I talked about it when we did the Twin Peaks anniversary in 2020. I started watching this during COVID, this show during COVID. Um, I had put it, put it to the back burner for like 10 years. I have never become overly obsessed with a television show as fast as I've become with twin peaks i read theories about it i create my own theories about it and then this movie i had heard the reputation of it prior to watching it the booze at can the rt score is not too high and then i watch it and i'm like this is a fucking masterpiece why is this so disliked and yeah it's it's, it's going to be a very interesting conversation that we have but before we get into that let's get into some of the news of the week it's been a few weeks since we've been on so i'm going to kick it off by talking about uh the creators of Cobra Kai are going to spin off one of the best movies of the 1980s, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Absolutely not. I, I will say, I will say the idea that they went with, I would have really liked for this movie to have been a thing, but maybe not like 40 or like 40 years since. Like if they still had the same guys from the original of what they were going to do, I, I would be more into it. But So what's I, what's the idea? So the movie's going to follow the two uh, parking lot attendees that stole the car, that stole Cameron's car. Okay, and have their and follow their day off with the Ferrari. That's kind of funny, but it is forty years too. Yep, late. yep. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm reading this, and I'm like, I, I'm on the exact same wavelength as you guys. I'm like, so this would have been a cool idea, like. If it happened like a year after Ferris Bueller's Day Off when these guys could actually reprise their roles, mm -hmm. I don't know how this is going to work. But it's coming from the creators of Cobra Kai, so I will give them a little bit of leeway and see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm i shocked this happened, but it's not too surprising with IP from the 80s becoming extremely profitable to bring back. Um, the Gives me Christmas Story 2 vibes. Wait, like the bad Christmas story too that came out on VOD? Yeah, that's what it, that, that's the vibe that it gives me that it's gonna feel like. Um, <laughs> now I can't unthink that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that movie, Jack? 
The, 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 I have I have not, but considering it's a VOD sequel to a Christmas story, I can imagine. If it makes you feel better, Daniel Stern is in it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. He plays the old man. But it's one of the worst movies I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's. Per- <laughs> and and I'm a very I have this OCD with being a completist. So every Christmas, obviously the entire Christmas day, I'm watching a Christmas story. But before that, I actually have to watch the sequel because I feel like an incompletist. Now, I hope that the sequel that's coming to HBO Max, if it's still coming at the end of, in December, uh, will warrant me never watching that Daniel Stern one ever, ever again. But, Jack, you should definitely watch it because if we're tortured by it, you definitely should uh, join the club on that. Um, right. Next bit of news. Uh, I'm a big fan of Yellow Jackets. Elijah Wood is joining the cast of Yellow Jackets. Have you guys seen that show? Not yet. I've not, but that news has been going all over Instagram. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, next bit of news. I'm a, and Brett is a big Disney guy, like I am. Yeah. Uh, so I can. I'm always excited for Disney products, especially bad ones that I love. So I'm a huge <laughs> fan of National Treasure one and two. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like I, th- I think they're awful, but like, sure, I love that they just grabbed the Declaration of Independence and all that fun stuff. So Jerry Bruckheimer stated this week that the script for part three has been sent to Nicolas Cage and is waiting on approval. Um, Do you want to see a part three, Jack? I'll start with you. Uh, I mean, presuming I'm going to get the same thing out of it that I have the other two, like you, and it's like, ah, they're not great, but I definitely had fun. I could definitely be down for another movie, that's for sure, especially with his... Nicholas Cage is kind of getting a little career renaissance, I think, with uh, unbearable weight. So I think people really went back and, appre- and appreciated more of like the absurdity of some of his roles. So I think that I'm totally welcoming a third one for sure. And Brett, your first reaction, not too excited for this? Oh, yeah. No, no, totally. I'm actually okay, down. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I like National Treasure. I think they're fun. Um, and I think it is that like, I think I'll capitalize on that early 2000s nostalgia. That's the I next agree. page. And I think that's pretty cool because that's the generation I grew up in. So I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm in. You know? I, I, lo- I love that we're skipping my generation as a kid, the 90s, and we're just going straight to the 2000s <laughs> with nostalgia. Plenty of 90s things, though. I mean. I feel like everyone's loving the 80s. And they're like, the 90s weren't too bad. The 90s were fucking great. Peaceful. Clinton was president. <laughs> the economy was rising. Things yeah, were going well. Um, this one doesn't shock me, uh, especially with the Barbie partnership. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are going to star in the Ocean's Eleven prequel. Uh, sure, why not? I like these movies. Whatever. Did they, did they announce who was attached to direct? If it's, I hope it's Soderbergh. I, I don't like Ocean's A too much. It's fine. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ocean's Eleven, and I really like Ocean's Thirteen, just because Pacino is just doing pacino things in it uh not too big not too big a fan of the second one um are you a fan of the of this version of it jack or are you more of a fan of the sinatra uh i i like the newer one more i'd say the sinatra one's cool because that's like they were like the casino guys like i i'd expect them to be like hanging at casinos like in the 50s and 60s but i mean the newer one as an action movie is definitely really fun and i even I even had some fun with Ocean's 8, so yeah, I'm not opposed to them bringing oh. this back. Awesome. What about you, Brad? Are you a fan of the franchise? Not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I've seen Ocean's Eleven, and I liked it. I did not like Ocean's Eight. I saw that in theaters, and was like, no. But yeah, I I can take it or leave it. To be yeah. honest, it's and, just a thing that exists. And then <laughs> finally, uh, before we get to what we watched, um, we didn't get a really chance, Jack and I, to talk about the uh, HBO Max stuff that's been going on, and I'm not going to get into it. It fucking sucks, and. Uh, why I'm bringing this up is because it was announced yesterday that HBO will be removing at this moment up to, as my screen loads, 40 titles, including 200 episodes of Sesame Street from HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, the Sesame Street one really fucking annoys me. I don't have any kids yet. I will in the next few months. Why? Like, Sesame Street is necessity for children and you're gonna and I, I i don't understand what's going on here i really don't um i'm not gonna run through all the movies that's getting removed but um they're removing uh also some cartoon from car- some cartoons that are from cartoon network um a lot of them are movies i haven't seen but these could be movies that some other people like and it, and it goes to the importance and brett you you've never heard me rant about my love for physical media i still buy blu-rays i still buy 4Ks. I will always keep physical media library, and this recent news is just making me more confident that I will continue to do that because something we love eventually is going to be. It's not this, but something we love personally is going to get removed from from one of these streaming services one day, and we're going to be like, "How the fuck are we going to watch this?" And then when we go on Amazon or whatever, you're going to see that the print is out of print, and you're going to have to pay like two, three hundred dollars for something. So I've been there. I spent two hundred dollars on a copy of The Third Man on Criterion because I couldn't find it any, anywhere. So it's it's already happened to me. So, um, yeah, Jack, thoughts on just HBO being ridiculous or Warner's being ridiculous? Well, yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat as you when it comes to physical media. Not to the exact, not to the same extent. I'd say I'm definitely more of a selective physical media buyer. Like if I really like something, I'll buy it because I know that like if it gets removed from streaming, I'll want it. But I mean, like the Sesame Street thing, like that, that really just doesn't make sense because that's just like a flagship property that everyone knows. And it's something that's really not going to go out of style, I think. It, I'd kind of see it as if like we know it's going to happen at some point. But like when AMC removes Breaking Bad and that kind of stuff, like or not AMC, when Netflix does, um, I, that's just going to take a huge toll on the subscribership, I think, especially with I can't. I don't know what all there is for kids to watch on HBO Max just because I'm not one and that's not my demographic, but getting rid of Sesame Street's a tough one. And I'm not sure if there's a that just, great of like competition there to match up with it. Yeah, I mean, as it didn't, I'm, I'm guessing Brett will con- concur with me on this one. Like the whole Disney Plus of it all. Like my wife and I were just talking the other day, like we. Disney Plus is so accessible because of all the kids programming that they won't remove. They actually have a whole bunch of kids programming that we, when my daughter be, is one or two years old, you just plot her in front of the TV, put whatever animated movie that's available, put some Disney shorts. They know it reminds me. I don't know. As I'm a big theme park guy, not just Disney. It reminds me of the whole Universal Studios of it all. Like I am a huge fan. I went to Universal Studios a lot as a kid. And with rides like Back to the Future, the ride, Jaws, King Kong, right. Nickelodeon <laughs> Studios, stuff like that. And Universal made it a point to just remove all these rides for current popular IP that will not have a long lasting nostalgia that a Back to the Future, a Jaws will. 
Disney doesn't do that. Disney is very much on the we're going to keep what you love unless you're in uh California where you got re- you lost the tower of terror. But it, that's you know what I'm pretty much saying is like you have Disney that will keep everything for especially kids programming and Warner is just going backwards. But Brett, what do you what are your thoughts on the move? Yeah, so like I was going to say the same thing about physical media actually. So I'm glad you brought that up cuz I mean I I just you, you're only hearing this on podcasts. You look behind me. There's some of my physical media right over there. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely like, but I like I collect the things that like really really interest me to learn how they're made or did I just want to keep around? Because I think in the in the grand scheme of things, like even if you like buy a movie on iTunes, you are renting that movie. You aren't buying that movie. Because if iTunes ever went away, boom, your movie's gone, you know? Yep. So that's why I think physical media is, is a very important thing. And I just feel sorry for all the artists on um, these projects. I've spent years dedicated to making these things, and then boom, they're just not accessible for people to watch. Yeah. And that's, 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 I think that's the biggest heartbreak of it is like – and I, I hope this is a wake-up call that – um we still need to release physical media so people can still have ways to watch things, but also how streaming isn't the for all be gone. Oh, this is the future, you know? Cause I, this is, I think this was inevitably going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, I one of my, going on. one of my buddies is a manager at a Best Buy and, um, I used to go there consistently just to pick, I, Nothing enjo- as a physical media collector, nothing enjoyed me more than the hunt of going just to look and finding a random movie that had a cool. It, rem- it took me back to the days of Blockbuster, me going to yeah. video store and just finding a cover that I like. Sure, I'll I'll pay the ten bucks to watch this movie if I like it. I like it. If I don't, I don't. And those trips used to work for me. Um, my buddy mentioned probably like a few months ago they were moving buildings. They eliminated completely their physical media section. There's nothing left there. And thank God for Amazon. I'm saying that and all these other outlets like Shout Factory, Screen Factory, Criterion that were still able to get all these physical media. Like I I'm I own every best picture winner. And nice. the fact that I don't have Coda sitting in my section right now is bothering the living hell out of me. And <laughs> Who knows if Apple's going to give it a release? And it goes to what you said. If Apple doesn't exist any, exist anymore, what's going to happen in that movie? So, yeah, I, I agree 1,000% with you guys. Well, it also promotes piracy. Yeah. I think, yeah, um, HP, and we're going to see a rise in piracy of people who want to watch these properties now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another thing they got to realize. It's like, because, like, lost media is not going to really be a thing anymore because all these things are online. You know, yeah, all these things are have circulated already, and so I think if you really want to support people stealing art, like there you go, you've just done it, HBO. So, um, but they do have Nathan for you, so I have to stay subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll cancel once Barry finishes up. <laughs> Were you worried, Jack, that that was going to be part of the cancellations? Like, even a little bit? It, it, it's weird because, like, it seems that a lot of, like, what's being targeted is, like, the Max Originals. Mm-hmm. Like, where, like, Succession and Barry, like, that's currently, I think, coincidingly airing on HBO at the same time. So I think a lot of, like, the network shows are safe, but it seems to be a lot of, like, the 
max originals that are getting axed. Yeah, and was... then some like rare exceptions with like Sesame Street. Like yeah. I, I've I've been kind of on the fence with a lot of the comic book TV shows, but if I lost Peacemaker, I would have been pretty fucking pissed off. So I'm glad we're able to keep that. Succession is going to be around, and Barry is going to be around, and yeah, at least we get that. But yeah, physical media, keep buying them because yeah. it's it's a necessity. Like right now, I'm right now I'm literally dreading Hulu not releasing Prey on Blu-ray, and I'm stuck trying to watch it on hulu all the time so yeah. um yeah all right so yeah that wraps up all the news of the week let's get into some of the stuff that we watched this week uh i i'm gonna jack we're gonna end with yeah s- with that but what do you have on your on your plate that you want to highlight uh well i started back school this past week so i haven't had much time to watch anything the one rewatch i did have um over the past weekend uh that i actually i used to watch all the time but i actually haven't seen it in like three or so years and that's the departed uh used to be like one of my favorite scorsese still is still is um there's something i realized about that movie that's really interesting um that jack nicholson shouldn't have been cast yeah i was gonna say that and on top of that him not getting in at the oscars is just insane i mean not not performance aside like it won best picture best director and like best screenplay and he didn't get in that that's like if the post won picture and director and meryl streep didn't get nominated i i'm under the impression jack and brett if you i'm sure you've seen the departed i don't know if you agree i'm under the impression that the academy he was so bad that the academy couldn't even bypass and just say fuck it let's let's just give him the jack nicholson nom especially (laughs) like i 2020 hindsight knowing that pacino was the one who Marty wanted to play that role just makes me yeah. long for that performance. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's why he didn't get in. They just like, no, nah, we can't do this. We can't yeah. do this at all. The movie's still great, though. I don't know if you feel the same. Oh, oh for sure. Yeah, it's an easy four out of five or four point five out of five for me. And that's all you got? Yeah, pretty much. It is on my list of shame. I've never seen it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, well, I, the, I I need to. <laughs> the good news is you get to watch the. Uh, international inspiration for it. Uh, internal affairs that's releasing on Criterion in November. Yeah, I saw that. That looks sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited because I've always wanted to see. I've always wanted to see that. Uh, is there anything that you've seen this week, Brett, that you want to highlight? Uh, so yeah, I've <laughs> I'm back home after my you know six month program at Disney, and so I have been watching a lot of stuff because I'm bored. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I went. I've been to the Almo a few times since i've been back and i saw prince of darkness in 4k that was a pretty good john carpenter movie i liked it it's very creepy um i saw the last unicorn in theaters which is one of the most underrated and overlooked animated films ever made it's kind of a masterpiece and people don't talk about it it's really sad um but i love that movie but the big thing I've been watching, I think I alluded to it earlier, that I've been watching for the past month is Nathan For You, which is Nathan Fielder's show where he uh, pitches ridiculous ideas to small businesses to make them successful. And it's potentially the funniest show I've ever seen. But I really wanted to highlight um, his documentary, which was the last episode of the show called Finding Francis, mm-hmm. which is a perfect piece of film you know it is moving and cathartic and funny and sweet and real i I mean it's 
the dude's a genius. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I have no idea how he's able to find so much pathos in these ridiculous situations. But nice. He's, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a few things I've. Yeah. All right, and then just running quick through mine, I uh, mentioned I saw Prey, loved it. Um, I saw a couple of Billy Wilder movies. Uh, saw Thirteen Lives. Uh, probably Ron Howard's best movie since Rush, but it's still forty minutes too long. Uh, I saw Something Wild, the Jonathan Demi film, which is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Ray Liotta and Melanie Griffith are phenomenal in that. Uh, saw Broadcast News for the first time in a bit. Uh, phenomenal. Love it. Uh, Perfect movie. House of Games. Highly recommend it if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, have you heard of House of Games? I thought I saw it on your letterbox kind of recently. What's it about? Uh, so I'm gonna, I don't want to butcher. A psychiatrist comes to the aid of a compulsive gambler. That's all I'm going to say. It's okay. uh, Joe, Man- Joe Mantegna and Lindy Krauss star. Nice. Yeah. And it's, uh, I believe it's, oh my God, Mamet, David Mamet directed. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really great. Um, also saw uh, Blowout, the Brian De Palma film, which it's probably my third favorite Travolta film. Third, fourth, maybe, after Pulp, Saturday Night Fever. Um, Fall. The, that new recent thriller about, I'm terrified of heights that movie fucked me up <laughs> fucked me up um, I'm saying this as a recommendation for you Jack I, and I'm may, I'm pretty sure Brett probably has seen this already it's called Body Bags it's a horror anthology film um, it's di- so it's three stories two of them are directed by John Carpenter the third one's directed by Toby Hooper I haven't seen that but that sounds great <laughs> The first story is probably the best one. It's really, really, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? You'll clench your asshole and you can shit out a diamond. It's really tense. The Mark, there's a Mark Hamill one. That one is a little weak. Uh, and the Toby Hooper one is, uh, I mean, the other John Carpenter one is pretty decent too. So it's highly recommended there. Then I lost, I lost poker yesterday. And as, uh, as a punishment, being the first one to be uh, to lose in poker, I had to watch uh, two. I, I chose to watch two movies. I saw The Resort and The Requin. The Requin is one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it is the worst movie I've seen this year. It is um, in my LB review. I posted that it's the CGI is reminiscent to Mortal Kombat Annihilation. It's pretty fucking awful. God bless Alicia Silverstone for trying, but no, nah, not it. The resort was just bad. I mean, there's forgettably forgettable. It's bad. It's nothing really to say. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about with Jack is Better Call Saul. Um, I'm not going to spoil it because Brett has not seen it, so we're not going to get too deep of spoilers. Um, I guess the conversation I want to start with Jack is um, I haven't stopped thinking about this episode in six days already. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably one of the most effective series finales ever for the per- for the for what it accomplished without any action. Because you know how series finales just are concentrated on like even Breaking Bad had a giant action sequences with the trunk mm-hmm. and, the, and the guns or whatever. This doesn't do that, and I think it's just as effective, if not more. Jack, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I I think the whole second half of that final season just like really pulls in your on your heartstrings when it comes to like one 
of like the stories that's going on and it just kind of holds that off until the final episode and then you get that payoff and it leaves you it leaves you wanting more but still satisfied knowing that like this is probably the end of the Heisenverse so to speak yeah uh, which I love I, that the Heisenverse I'm sorry that's great you, <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to use my Albuquerque verse but I like yours better I was like the Heisenverse it's got the cleaner feel to it but uh yeah, I, I hope it is the end. Like, I I don't think that franchise missed even El Camino, which is by far like the weak link of like the three properties. Mm-hmm. It's still quite a good movie. Yeah, I I concur. I think the um we so Brett Jack Jack and I and and Helmer we were talking theories for months at this point, and none of us were right on any single theory. That's how good the show was. <laughs> It completely told us to go fuck ourselves and to not theorize and just watch. I wish that more writers could be like Gilligan and Gold. Like it's, 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 I can't even, without spoiling it, obviously, I can't really get too much into it. Bob Odenkirk essentially plays three characters in that finale. Yeah, he really does. Uh, And also just a shout out to, Vince and Peter because they just really really turned like honestly kind of a throwaway comedic relief character from Breaking Bad into like one of the most layered and like sympathetic TV characters I can think of in a long time and even more more credit to them is you walk into Better Call Saul with an existing property as great as Breaking Bad and you're, in my personal opinion, you're able to create the second best character in the entire Albuquerque verse, Heisen verse, whatever you want to call it, with Kim Wexler. And I love that character. I, I would say it's probably in my top 10 favorite TV characters of all time of how layered she is and her performance is just incredible. The fact that this show has been disrespected by the Emmys as much as they have is, is unbelievable. I, I hope Rhea Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk eventually win Emmys, if not this for this first part of season six, for the last part. But yeah, I think this show has, I think it's made Breaking Bad better too. I'm currently rewatching Breaking Bad, and it's, mm-hmm. I never thought I could say Breaking Bad could get better, but watching things in context with knowing what happened before really, really um, makes things work. Do you think, and then one question before we move on, Jack, do you think this is the greatest prequel series of all time? What are the other contenders? Because it's kind of easy for me to just say, yeah, because I'm not sure what else is up Because I don't want to say spinoff series, because then we got to look at Frasier. We got to look mm-hmm. at all those other shows. I, if we're talking prequel, I think this is it. I think it's, I mean, if you want to take the conversation even further, you this has definitely made its claim, I think, in like the top 10 prequels across any medium general in general. I mean, it's up, um, let me think. It's up there with what we're talking about today, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the first one to do it, one of the first ones to do it, too. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then the la- and then just, Brett, you haven't seen it. It um, it follows the same motifs and themes as Breaking Bad, but it's a lot more patient. So you're not going to get, you know, a lot. There's a lot of episodes of talking, a lot of talking. So you're going to have to be very patient when watching, but it's absolutely worth the payoff. I yeah, and that's all I'll say without spoiling it. If you guys haven't seen it, please check it out. It's on Netflix right now, uh, up to season five, and then the other episodes are on AMC Plus, I believe. Alrighty, so let's get to why we we asked Brett to come on. We're going to talk about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. As it turns 30 
years old this month. Um, light. What happened? <laughs> you guys got a light. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we, I guess we can kick it off by just the first viewing of the film, and I'll start with. Actually, I'll start with our guest here, Brett. You're yeah. a huge fan of it. What are your memories from the first time you saw it? So I guess I'll start with my first memories of Twin Peaks. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously, I don't hear. I mean, we'll get into this. But I'm very confused how people watch this without knowing what Twin Peaks was. Because I feel like that'd be the most disorienting experience of, of your life. But um, I watched Twin Peaks for the first time in winter of 2020 it was right before the pandemic but it wasn't the pandemic yet it was in the winter and i walked with my parents because we saw it on netflix and i was like i've heard a lot about twin peaks and it was so different than anything i've ever seen that like i was not like i could not stop thinking about it and so i just like continued to watch it and devour it i got the books I, so, you know, and I started reading those and watched The Return and then Firewalk with me, which I think at the time I watched on the Criterion channel because I was, you know, I'm a subscriber to the Criterion channel. And honestly, when I first watched it, I was just like, that was a lot. I don't even know how they even comprehend that right oh, now. Yeah. And then what I realized is that it just came into my mind a lot. You know, like when I think about movies or whatever, I'd be like, man, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. How cool is it that I did that or did this or dare to do this or dare to do that? And so like the more and more I thought about it, this the more and more grew in my brain until I was like, this is kind of like one of the most effective movies ever made. And I think um, the best of David Lynch's work does that to where, you you know, it ends and you're like, I don't know about that. But then the reason like it continues just to grow and build because there's so much layers to it. There's so much behind it outside of just the film itself. Yeah. I, I couldn't, couldn't start it off any better. Jack, what about you? Uh, so I, I guess before I go into it, I guess I should just say that if you're listening to this and you haven't seen twin peaks, major spoiler alert, because there's really no way we can talk about this movie yeah. without talking about, the series that preceded it so yep. if you want to watch the show get off go watch it uh, but no i pretty much got into it the same way it happened to me earlier this summer actually i finally decided to sit down and watch twin peaks at the consistent recommendations of this one to my left here mr dave yeah um, i was very consistent yeah and just like you guys it just really threw me for a loop because it I knew that it was like a really revolution revolutionary show, but just kind of the hybrid of what it was really just like, I guess, gravitated towards me. Like it's a mix of like a mystery, but there's also like elements of soap opera in there. So it was just a really unique show and unlike anything I had seen. And then I'd watched fire walk with me and that's almost a complete departure from what I loved with the original show. It's definitely a much more darker movie. It, focuses more on the darker end of Twin Peaks rather than the lighter. Uh, but in the time since I've gone back and rewatched it, I've definitely found myself appreciating that aspect more because while I do think that some parts maybe 
I, I didn't like as much. Uh, there were other parts that this time around I was I was much more appreciative of what it did and like the purpose that it served for setting up for like the series and what was to come. Yeah, so kind of on the same boat, I have been told to watch Twin Peaks since like 2010, 2009, 2010, and I just avoided. I had always, I actually avoided David Lynch as a whole. Um, I was told he was weird, eccentric, eccentric, and I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not ready to just dive into that stuff. I'm not smart enough. Is pretty much yeah. what I kept saying. And then COVID hit. I went away with my wife for uh, two weeks in the Poconos. Uh, Working from home with a giant TV in front of you, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let's do it. Fuck it. It's about time. And I set off the line. I have never become more obsessed with a television show as, and just a property as fast as I've become with Twin Peaks. I, there never goes a week or a month that I don't at least think about something. That I'm like, me, wait, maybe this means something from episode this and that. Like I, I love this show and just the fact that it makes me think so much. And I immediately dive into David Lynch's everything after that. But with Fire Walk with me, um, same, same concept with you, Jack and, and Brent. I needed a bath. I needed a shower after I saw it the first time. I was like, I really need to think about everything that just happened because this is, He's trying to tell us a lot here. Like you're, you're like I even wrote some of this stuff down. Like he's talking about guilt, devastation of a victim, dealing with incest, dealing with rape, dealing with um, self worth. Laura's self worth, her last week of her life is pretty much there's nothing left there. And I'm recent. I've seen this movie about six or seven times. Like I'm with Brett. Like I think this movie is. One, it was ahead of its time in 1992. I still think it's ahead of its time now because people are just afraid to watch this movie, I think, and just really look at what the themes are in this film. Like, I, I can see a world where you set, you show this movie to someone that really doesn't know Lynch or doesn't even really know what to expect and just says, hey, just watch this one movie. Even though you need to see everything else, you have no interest in the show, just watch this movie and they'll still be taken aback by Laura's death scene, which is still one of, like, the best scenes I've seen in any movie. I think the direction in that is phenomenal. Um, and the fact that she's raped like what twice outside of that scene. <laughs> so it's, there's a lot there and this movie has continually grown in some, one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my top hundred. So I absolutely adore the movie. Um, getting into some of the production of the film, uh, Aaron spelling, uh, wanted to produce a third season of Twin Peaks, but ABC canceled it because Bob Iger was not having it. Uh, when I found out Bob Iger is the one that canceled Twin Peaks, I was so wow. conflicted because I love Bob Iger, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, you canceled, you canceled Twin Peaks. Um, so Lynch and Spelling decided to conclude the series as a film trilogy, so securing 75 million dollar budget for three films. Uh, with the French company Sibi 2000 and announcing the first film just a month after the series cancellation. Lynch and Mark Frost, uh, whose relationship soured after the second season, they drifted apart and Mark Frost did not take a part of the movie. Uh, I'll keep going with the production, but Jack, you said there's some stuff that didn't work. Do you think Mark Frost was missing in some aspects of the movie that kind of mm. kind of put it in the too dark direction? No, I think... I think for me, like before I before I did this, I actually went and looked through some of the missing pieces, uh, some of the scenes that were cut from uh, the which movie. is a great watch. Yeah, I, I didn't see all of it, but I saw I saw some that I think could have like been nice in the movie. Uh, 
I'm not sure whose choice it was to leave him on the cutting room floor, but I think his absence was noted. But again, like I mentioned earlier, I think I, d- I definitely appreciated it more for going in this direction as opposed to the series. Yeah. Uh, in terms of why Lynch wanted to make a Twin Peaks film, he he was quoted saying, I couldn't. I couldn't get myself to leave the world of Swim Peaks. I was in love with the character of Laura Palmer and her contradictions, radiant on the surface but dying inside. I wanted to see her live, move, and talk. I was in love with that world, and I hadn't finished with it. But making the movie wasn't uh, just to hold on to it. It seemed that there was more stuff that could be done, and he uh, was just not finished with the material. Uh, actress Cheryl Lee, who played Laura Palmer, uh echoed the sentiments they I never got to be Laura alive just in flashbacks it allowed me to become to come full circle with the character according to Lynch the movie is about the loneliness confusion of the victim of incest it also dealt with the torment of the father and the war within him uh the movie was originally originally going to begin filming in 1991 but it was held off um I'm gonna save this I was gonna save this for later but the whole Kyle McLaughlin of it all um, we know that he's not in the movie a lot. Uh, do you guys know why? I I have it in my notes, but do you guys know why? He don't want to get typecast. Was that right? Yeah, he, that's pretty yeah. much it. Which is, I don't know. That Dale Cooper. I mean, at the end of the day, I think he ended up. That's who he's best known for. Uh, mm-hmm. also Laura Flynn Boyle did not come back. Um. I have my thoughts on her as a character and as a actress. <laughs> uh, I think she is the sole corporate uh, culprit as to why Sherilyn Fenn did not get her storyline with Dale Cooper in season two. Uh, not sure if you're aware of this, Brett. Like there was going to be an Audrey and uh, Dale love story there, and then uh, Laura Flynn Boyle was dating Kyle MacLachlan, and she reneged it, and they wrote it out as a show. Oh, completely. interesting. I didn't know that. I I'll honestly see how it would have gone there because the chemistry was there. For it was sure. there. I yeah. loved them oh, together. Yeah. yeah. Jack, what do you think of that? Do you think it would have worked too? Uh, well, I mean, it's certainly what I would have liked to have seen because I agree. I think their chemistry was freaking unreal. But I also kind of liked that, like, will they, won't they kind of energy whenever they'd be on screen together. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't get it, but. I'm sure in the moment I would have been happy with it, but. And then like you mentioned, there's a whole bunch of uh, film scenes that were cut. And if you have the criterion version of the film, it's actually put together in an, it's 90 <laughs> minutes long. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Alrighty. Now we get to the release and I know Jack, this is what you wanted to talk about. So twin peaks premiered at the Cannes film festival in 1992. To raving reactions, right? That, that's what it is. <laughs> it received. Oh, a, uh, polarizing response as it was booed by the entire audience um in a world where everything gets a standing ovation in 2022 at Cannes, um i i can't believe this is the movie they chose to boo jack i go ahead floor is yours so something i want i really want to know about i i i'm not too familiar with like what the marketing was like for this movie because like where twin peaks ended like, you could see where, why people would want to, like, you know, continue with that story and, like, see where that goes. So, that seems maybe, to be maybe, That seems to be the reason. I don't know about the booze I can, but that seems to be the reason why the movie was not as beloved. Kind of like the Halloween 3 effect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they wanted to see what happened with Dale, especially with the cliffhanger that season two left us. And because we got a prequel, everyone was like, nah, fuck this. This just sucks. Well, yeah. I'm wondering if the people at Cannes that were there were like, were they even invested in Twin Peaks or are they just critics? Because at that point, if you're going into the movie without knowing what the show is, I think that's a really weird way to start it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And I, could, I could definitely see why that because, you know, wasn't it Roger Ebert who said that, like, the movie was so bad he would never even write about it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, so it's this idea of, like, I think people just didn't know what to make of it because they were like, why are we seeing this? Why does this matter? Why? And I think it does hold by itself. But I, I do, too. At the time, I think just at the time, people were like, what is this Twin Peaks firewalk with me? Is it supposed to be a, a attachment of the show? Is it supposed to be its own thing? I think there's brand confusion as well when that movie premieres. I can. Yeah, I don't know. If that's I can exactly see that. the right spot for it to go. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. diff- it's a very difficult time because of the there's no social media. You're just pro- you're just seeing what's on television and maybe they're marking it in an in inappropriate way on television. It's um, I think Lynch was just a can favorite. Because he goes off to bring Mulholland Drive a few years later over there. And I think he had already brought a couple of more films before that over there. So they loved Lynch. And I guess he thought that this was the perfect place to put it. Uh, But I do agree. If the audience doesn't know the material, it really, this movie needed, at that time especially, needed to be seen knowing the context. It's funny because this is one of these movies that I have in my notes that falls under the quote-unquote reappraisal years Mm -hmm. later um some critics now critics call it a masterpiece uh mark kermode he's one of the critics that originally didn't like the movie and now in 2007 called it a masterpiece in 2002 ed gonzalez of slant magazine gave the movie four out of four stars and the following year the publication included the movie of the the movie on their list of 100 essential films uh, it's also listed as number 11 on, on the publication's list of the 100 best films of the 1990s. Um, essentially, at this point, this movie, people know what it's about. People know what's up with it. And I think it's a much more beloved film than it was in 1992. Um, I was I don't have a category for this, but I do want to talk about the score. Uh, yeah. So, Jack, I want tell me your, what you think the score the that this score should be the opening theme of the show <laughs> so yeah uh, dave and i have had convos off the air about not my distaste for it but i don't know i guess i i would pers- i the opening theme to fire walk with me is unreal i think it's one of the most like mood setting pieces of music that i can think of for a movie and i was just watching it this time and i was like man make this a theme for the whole show and i'm chilling just uh and then also i'll talk more about these when we get to what stage the best but i i, I didn't even remember it till you mentioned it to me this morning but the, the pink, pink room? room music oh my god that scene I, is fucking fire <laughs> no pun intended i was uh, on i was directing one of my short films for college and playing that in the background as we're getting things set up. <laughs> I was like, no, this is what we need to have the food be. <laughs> That's the perfect food for it. I, I, yeah. I kind of, I mean, I'll talk about it more, I guess, in what H the best, but I just love that scene just for the one line that Laura says right before the music hits when she's like, let's go. 
and then it's just like a quick pause and right into the music. That's, oh, I love that. So I don't agree with you, Jack, on that being the theme song to Twin Peaks. I happen to love, <laughs> I love that theme song. I think yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite of all time, but I do think the opening to this movie is, is phenomenal. It sets, like you said, sets the mood perfectly. And then the pink room is awesome. Also, uh, very subtle, but the music at the end after Laura dies is Chef's Kiss. I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's it's chilling. Yeah. It's uh, and then then the red room, you know, and everything. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, now we get to the sad part of it all. Uh, one of the categories that we have here, Brett, is called the Trophy Room, where we look at some of the awards at this movie. <laughs> uh, this will be very quick, actually. There's not much. Uh, so we have uh, Saturday awards. So he was nominated, David Lynch was nominated for, uh, the Palme d'Or, but I guess everyone that competes is nominated for the Palme d'Or, so it doesn't really count. Independent Spirit Awards, it won original score, uh, and Cheryl Lee was nominated for female lead. Saturn Awards, it won best music, and Cheryl Lee was nominated for actress and best no, horror film. No Lynch. Surprising. No, no, no Lynch for director. Dude, yeah. I think this is an impeccably directed film. I think it's, so I think Mulholland Drive is his Let's put it like this. So Jack hasn't seen Brett a uh, season three. He's currently watching the return. I think, oh, okay. I think episode eight is the best thing he's ever directed. Yeah. See, 100%. told you, yeah, Jack, yeah, told you, yeah. Jack. Oh, he's yeah. on there too. Okay. He's on the episode right. eight. Fan. Dude. Yeah. Ep- ep- I mean, like I, uh, I, I haven't really sat down and thought about it, but if I was to, I'd be like, Oh yeah, no episode eight, you know, it is, but episode eight can be viewed outside of twin peaks as well. And yeah. It's a perfect, little piece of yeah filmmaking it's essential yeah, i don't know if you i don't know if you agree but i think episode episode eight is essentially the prequel to this <laughs> yeah so you kind of and yeah jack i see your face you're very confused right now and i love it <laughs> but no you, you'll you'll get what we mean but 100 percent, it's where twin peaks starts yes which is perfect really weird. that's exactly yeah, yeah. the yeah. world of twin peaks was born in episode eight of the return that's yep. that's okay the, have, have, season three episode eight where the show begins got it you'll <laughs> never and i guarantee you're gonna and when when brett was saying got a light i couldn't even talk about it because that's exactly where that's from oh yeah okay that's fine because there was a silence i I, I was like because he had and i'm like i wanted i wanted to comment on it but i'm like jack hasn't seen it so he has no idea that's from episode eight and i got and jack got a light maybe one remember i said there's like maybe like eight words like eight no, i would say like dialogue or something maybe like, like 50 words of dialogue the whole episode and okay. the majority eight. and the majority <laughs> of them are in the first five minutes uh god of light is the only words that are used from like the five minute uh five minute on that's all you get word wise so that's an yeah. hour episode so I, just is, think is about it, that. Is, it, is it multiple runs of God of Light? Yes, it is. Or is okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> I was like, if he just says it once, that's funny. But no, if he just no, keeps saying no. it, it's even funnier. No, it's, it, God of Light has definitely said a lot. Um, but yeah, in terms, it didn't get much love. Um, best of oh, I missed these two: best supporting actor for Ray Wise and best uh, screenplay for David Lynch and Robert Engels. I gotta say, I mean, I looking at the lineup in '92. At the Oscars, I I think Cheryl Lee is the best performance I saw in the 1990s, female-wise. I love that performance. Um, oh, she should have won. It's my. It's honestly one of my favorite performances of all time. Like I, who, who was the winner that year? Uh, I will look for that right now, but it's probably not better than Cheryl Lee. But honestly, I I I would also give it to Ray Wise as well. Yeah. Uh, 
that that scene at the end and the way he's wailing and how he's processing what he's doing but cannot control that is so traumatizing and he sells it 100 percent. it's just like like it will shake you you know and so i i definitely feel like he should have been a supporting actor contender too because he really sold that and i get that scene towards the end whenever it cuts to the black lodge you know that's it's chilling. It's very haunting. I actually would agree with you on the Ray Wise thing, especially. So I'm not going to go through every category. For Best Picture, Unforgiven wins the Oscar. Uh, nominees, The Crying Game, A Few Good Men, Howard Zen, and Scent of a Woman. Well, come on, man. Come on. Some of those movies are boring. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, director went to Eastwood. Uh, the only... I like Unforgiven just fine, but... I mean, if I'm going to give it to someone here, we have Neil Jordan, The Crying Game, James Ivory, Robert Altman, Martin Bress. It's Robert Altman for the player. I mean, I would go for that. But get Neil Neil Jordan. I hate The Crying Game. <laughs> get that movie out of here. Um, and then when we go to the categories we were talking about. Uh, so Emma Thompson won for Howard's End. No, I'm good. <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> this was actually a very trash five. So we have Catherine Deneuve for In- Indochine. Uh, Ma- Mary McDonald, McDonald for Passion Fish, Michelle Pfeiffer for Love Field, and Susan Sarandon for Lorenzo's Oil. So Shirley wins the Oscar, right? Like easy. Yeah. And then supporting supporting actor, we have uh, Gene Hackman wins, but we have Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men, Al Pacino, Gun Gary, Gun Ross, David Paymer for Mr. Saturday Night, and Jay Davidson for The Crying Game. You can get you could have gotten Ray Wise in so, here. Those, those yeah, last two, yeah, you can sub you can sub them out. Supporting actors, no one's taking that Oscar for Marissa Tomei. I'm sorry, that's I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't co-sign that one. But screenplay, just to look at the screenplay, um, would this be adapted? Yeah, I, adapted. I guess. Yeah. I th- so based off worlds and characters of Twin Peaks, that makes it adapted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Howard's like, End. Twenty Forty Three is adapted. Okay, then in that case, yeah, Howard's End wins. Yeah, I, I could, yeah. But yeah, the Oscars fucked up that year. But it was a trend in the '90s. Then we got to, you know. Move on to 1995, and they give Heat zero nominations. But you know, they they <laughs> love rough. they they love Braveheart. Um, but yeah, let's let's get to the well, category. Okay, yeah. can we at least be fair? 1995, they nominated Babe for Best Picture, and that's which is really awesome. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always look at that like I because when I was a kid, um, and I still like the movie a lot. But I, when I was a kid, I really loved Babe. I was like, this is a really cool movie. And when I I was like 20, and I started really getting into this Oscar stuff, and I'm like. This movie was nominated for fucking Best Picture, and George Miller got a director nom for this. Like what? <laughs> and and screenplay, and and then didn't um Crowell got it. nominated for supporting, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, that's sick. I have, I, I love Babe. I, have I you ever seen that. it, Jack? A while back, uh, I remember really liking it. I know it won VFX, which is definitely one of my favorite winners in that department. Also, so, not to go on a Babe tangent, but George Miller didn't direct Babe. Did he? No, he directed Babe 2, Babe which two. is insane. You're right, oh, really? you're right, you're right. The first Babe was directed by someone else, but there's controversy because George Miller feels like he directed it because he, the, the director of Babe was kind of his protege, but you're right. So didn't want to be I, the director of the movie because he didn't really want his name attached to it at first. I apologize. Yes, yeah, so George Miller yeah. wrote the screenplay. It was Chris, no- Chris, uh, Chris Noonan who directed the yeah. first babe and uh it, like, so he got a directing nomination 
and then did not direct the movie for another 15 to 20 years because of how stressful directing Babe was because George Miller was so um, <laughs> difficult about it. That's that's it. this isn't a Babe podcast, but I could get into it. I, love <laughs> <Babe>. <laughs> I mean, I love Babe. I I, uh, I think I was wrong on the director, but let me double check. No, he got in. Yeah, Chris yeah. Coonan Chris yeah, no, got in. got in for director yeah. for Babe, but yeah. it's Chris Coonan. Crazy stuff. Good. Yeah. Wow, this is actually a good uh, garbage picture lineup. I have really good um, uh, director lineup. There's uh, three lone directors that year. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two lone directors. We had Tim Robbins for Dead Man Walking and Mike. Howard. Wait, what? Was it Ron Howard, Apollo 13? No, he didn't get nominated. Oh wait, did I miss out picture two? Oh my god, it got they pic- did not like that movie. No, it got picture. It didn't get not, uh, Howard didn't get nominated oh, for director. Oh. The two lone nominees were Mike Fig Figgis for uh, Leaving Las Vegas, and then Tim Robbins for Dead Man Walking, which would never happen today. Having two lone nom- director nominees, um, but yeah, let's get into some of the what age the best. Jack, I'll kick it off with you, bud. Yeah, so I first started with the theme song. Uh, well, I've already talked about that. Uh, the next thing I had, the epilogue, uh, just them finding Laura's body going towards uh, them in the red room and her. I can't remember what the exact line was, but she said uh, Laura, Laura said something earlier in the movie that was like the angels are never there anymore. And then what do you know in that final scene? There's an angel. And um, that scene always makes me really happy. Uh, the pink room. As we've already talked yes. about, that scene completely threw me completely off guard this time around. I don't know if I just like I just didn't like I didn't like it as much or wasn't paying attention as much to it the first time around, but this time around I was eating it up completely. Uh, and then the last thing that I'll touch on—it's <laughs> a small thing, but it 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 killed me when I first watched it, and I laughed even harder this time. But Bobby's little dance that he does. After he's like yelling at uh, Lauren and she just kind of like de-escalates the situation and he just walks back into the school with like the most exaggerated of dances. Uh, I gotta, I mean, speaking of Bobby, I know Brett, since Brett seen the return, I used to hate Bobby and then the return, I fucking, Bobby's like one of my guys in the return. Yeah, well, Bobby just becomes a better character. Yeah, just, totally like, agree. Like, and then James is just as lame as he ever was. <laughs> Another. <laughs> I got a. I'm glad. I'm glad we were not on this island alone. Every, every person since I the person shout out to shout out to Merc JC who's also in the Legion of the Files. He's the one that like I spoke to Twin Peaks when I first started watching it, including him. Every person I've recommended Twin Peaks to has said the same thing. Like, what did Laura see in James? James is just the fucking worst. <laughs> um. And and he, he just runs off in the later episodes. He just goes on his bike and he leaves. He's like, I'm done. She's <laughs> so trash. Uh, anything else, Jack? Uh, that, that's what I had for now. All right. So, anything else, I'll let you know. So, yeah, I me- you mentioned the opening credits, so I won't touch on them too much. Uh, the entire score. Uh, the connection to Twin Peaks The Return. You'll find out all those connections as you watch along. I mentioned mm-hmm. Shirley's performance. Uh, what's age the best prequel series and films? because it's the common thing nowadays. Um, so I think this was intentionally done because it's David Lynch, but I feel like the opening sequence of Deer Meadow 
feels like a poor man's version of Twin Peaks, where everything revolving around the town is just worse, including the police, including the restaurant. Everyone's just like a piece of shit in that town. Um, also, this has to do with the Teresa Banks investigation. Uh, the Brett, I hope you have read about this because I've kind of dived into this a lot in the last like year. Um, Fire Walk With Me is the first connection to the themes of electricity with David Lynch. Um, the I'm, I have a video that I'm going to share with you guys if you haven't seen it. It's four hours and 15 minutes where they talk about how electricity is the main theme of Twin Peaks. And this was the first crack at that theme. Very interesting stuff. Uh, love David Bowie as little as he is. Uh, I, I, Brad, I kind of already hinted at... Uh, Jackie's gonna love how his character looks in the return. <laughs> yes, Philip Jeffries looks good. <laughs> um, God, I love that that aspect of that scene is a sequel because Philip Jeffries comes in and he's like, "That's not Coop." So pretty yeah. much, we got our sequel in that little scene. Uh, the Lord death scene, I think it's despite it being so morbid, it's one of the best death scenes I've seen on in a movie. Um, the scene. Right after Laura's death, where uh, the arm is asking Bob for the gar- garbanosia, and for which is pain and sorrow, and he just drips the blood out of out of uh, Leland. Uh, yeah, and that's what I all I got. I know you didn't see this before. Do you have anything that you want to touch on, Brett? Yeah. So, like, I'll say this, a general thing with David Lynch is kind of his connection to humanity through all of this. Yeah. So I really think that because we see filmmakers now who are trying to be David Lynch quotations, right? And they fail to establish a theme. And I think that's a really important thing. It's something that I really love about The Lighthouse as well is it's this idea of like Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks Return. You can theorize about it for a long time with people and talk about its different eccentricities and theories and different things that it means. But if you look at it at a surface level, it's the story about this city grieving over something that feels like it shouldn't have ever happened. And it's this idea of these people in this town being like shaken up because something beyond comprehension happened, you know? And you see that a lot. Like I think in normal everyday life, you have a small little town in Washington, Twin Peaks, that seems like it's innocent, but there's something really lurking behind it. There's something creepy behind it. And I I think what holds up the best in these movies and why Twin Peaks works so well is because of its idea of small town familiarity and the quirky people you could run along the way and kind of giving humanity to them. And I, I think that's something... David Lynch has done better than so many different filmmakers. And I think that rings through in Firewalk with me. I really think that even like as dumb as James is, James is definitely a character that would exist, you know? <laughs> and I also and think he does I'm, that incredibly well. And I do um, want, I do want to add to your, I mean, I'm sorry. You can, oh, no, keep no, going. no, I was going to add to your, cause I agree 1000% with your Lynch comments. I think Lynch is also one of those direct and why I, I, feel like I lost a lot of time analyzing his film by just being intimidated by him being the way he is because I feel like David Lynch as a director and a filmmaker he doesn't insult his audience 
He doesn't lay everything out in front of you. He makes you really contemplate a lot. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Mulholland Drive and I was like, what the fuck, man? What is going on here? And then as I watch it, I feel like that movie is much easier to understand. But I just credit Lynch for not telling us anything and just letting us put the puzzle. He gives us the puzzle pieces. He lets us put it together on our own. And a lot of directors nowadays don't do that. Like, man, you can see these films at the hand of a lesser director just spit out exposition upon exposition and david lynch doesn't do that and i think that's intimidating to some because i've spoken to some people that hate david lynch but they can't really give me a reason why outside of he's weird i'm like i don't really think he's weird i just think he trusts his audience enough to lay pieces at you and trust you to put it together and he will never explain anything i mean you see his interviews on mulholland drive he still hasn't explained shit it's been 20 years yeah. so, so it's just I, I I credit him for everything you said and and just the way he respects his audience. I I I just love Lynch. I I don't like a straight story, but I do love Lynch. It's so boring, man. Oh, it's so boring. It's so <laughs> I, I guess you know what's funny. That's the last David Lynch movie I saw after watching everything, and I'm like, so is this like tractor gonna turn into like a creature by the end of this movie or something? And I'm like, no, he's just literally right in this tractor from point A to yeah, point B. <laughs> does that scene at the end not choke you up a it little is. bit no i i, I will say yeah it's a very well-made movie directed everything about it is per pristine it's not my favorite lynch but um i actually i'll watch inland empire before i watch a straight story again speaking of uh speaking of a straight story we also have to shout out harry dean stanton yes, yes. Mm. he comes back in the return in a really cool way too yeah you'll see you'll see jack yeah Everyone that like I the one thing I will say like and Brett correct me if I'm wrong, everyone that comes back feels warranted. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like even like my favorite and it's heartbreaking because she was past she yeah. was, she was dying is the log lady coming back and Lynch having like finding a way to bring her in to find it as an and use it in, use her in an important fashion before she passed away was like I really really like that and I mean the only one that didn't come back was Laura Flynn Boyle. And um, the uh, Harry S. Truman, because he had yeah. retired, and then the uh, ar- the arm didn't come back because the arm did say the next time you see me, I will not look like this anymore. And you haven't met the arm yet, right, Jack? In season three? No, I I have not. So yeah, well you at least I don't think so. He's not the little man anymore. That's hmm. that. That's, that's all, all we'll say. say. <laughs> yeah, that's all we'll okay. say. Um. All right, and then for for what age the worst? Don't have much here, but I tried to find something. Uh, not enough Dale Cooper. I guess you yeah, can... I, I put the Deer Meadow se- sequence because here's the original plan was to have Dale Cooper be the one investigating uh, the murder of Teresa Banks, yeah. which he said that it's not like it was like too big of a part, which like, was it really? I, I feel like it was only like the first like 30 minutes and even still he's. You have all the stuff with uh, Jeffries and Gordon Cole and all that. Um, plus, it's only for, like the first third of the movie, so I I think I would have liked it more with Cooper. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Um, what else do I have? Yeah, I. It's not. This has nothing to do with the film, but just his reasoning for Kyle McLaughlin's reasoning to not be in the movie more is a little ridiculous at this point. Um, I just have James. <laughs> just james yeah J- james doesn't sing but i still put down james singing 
<laughs> because that presence is in the movie. You know, every time he shows up, we're like, we remember that terrible song you sang. Next time you, next time you have a shoot, Brett, you should just play that song in the background. Yeah, that... <laughs> everyone will leave the yep. shoot. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I forgot to mention Age the Best. The pink room sequence is just so fucking great. All right, so let's get to the categories. Uh, Jack, I'll kick it off with you. Who's your Joe Spinell that guy war? Why is it James Marshall? Yeah, let me go. Come back to me. My computer just crashed. So the other, I, the only other person I could think of for like that guy is probably Frank Silva as Bob. Yeah. Uh, what else has he? What else has he been in? He, I mean, just this. You know his story. How he got the how he got the part. So it was com- yeah. It was a complete, it was a complete accident. accident. So. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with James Marshall. Uh, I can't think of anyone else because yeah. I mean, yeah. Kiefer Sutherland is Kiefer Sutherland. He's not. Yeah, that, that's the that's the thing. It's either people who like are just like so vague, or it's like people who we definitely know by name. Like he's in the movie for like hardly any time, but like Harry Dean stands, Harry Dean Stan, and they have a lot of like small bit players that I honestly forgot about. Uh. Brett, if you get if you get the concept of this category, do you have anyone in mind? So you're talking about like so like, when you, so if you see this guy, so like for example, like let's say you see James in like an episode of Community, right? And you see him, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's the guy from Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's kind of like the the emphasis of the category. Like what what? Okay. Well, well, if you really want to be mean, the real answer is probably Charlie. Yeah, yeah. I, has she done anything else? That's yeah, like she up, was in Car- the part with this. She was in Carpenter films. Oh, okay, cool. She was in Winter's Bone. Oh, she was. Yeah. Oh. Which that's interesting. That means because if you guys don't know, well, you want to know. Um, Winter's Bone was filmed in the city I spent the first year of my life in. <laughs> Oh really? Oh wow! I guess maybe me and Cheryl Lee could have crossed paths at one point. I don't know. <laughs> They're having this giant Twin Peaks convention in Orlando, and I'm like so jealous that I can't go to that. Cheryl Lee's going to be there. Kyle MacLachlan's going to be there. Ray Wait, Wise is going to be happening? there. Spooky Con. It's in October. Why am I not still in Orlando? I got to figure out a way to get back. Dude, it is. It, <laughs> when I saw, because my buddy lives in Orlando, when he sent me, all I needed was Cheryl Lee and Kyle MacLachlan. But when he sent me everyone is going to be there. Like if you, any character that's alive in Twin Peaks is going to be there. They'll resurrect the dead one. Seriously. <laughs> um, all right. The Al Martino recasting award. I, all right. So I like Moria Kelly. I like her in the West wing. I, while I don't like Laura Flynn Boyle for like the offset stuff, I do mm-hmm. think she's a much better Donna than Maury Kelly, so I'll go. I'll, I'll go with that. What do you got, Jack? Yeah, I was go. I was gonna recast Maury Kelly too. Honestly, not because she does anything wrong, but it that's just one of the cast switches that like it's so jarring and like she obviously needs to be there because she was involved. She was there like the last few days of her life, but yeah, like I definitely don't have anything wrong with Lara Flynn Boyle's performance, so. All she right. was definitely more jarring in this time around. Brett, is there so, anyone you'd recast here? I mean, I 
that's the one that stands out the most, honestly. I, I agree. I think I would just recast James Marshall as anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'd replace I... him with, uh, with um, I don't know, Ray Liotta. Oh. There you go. <laughs> <Can> you imagine? <laughs> and I also would recast Jacques Renault with Jack Renault. Yeah. Exactly. I gotta work on my French there and time go. travel back to the nineties. And so. gain like six hundred pounds. Uh, that's the easy part. <laughs> <I think that. laughs> Alright, Detlef Shrimp. I six. would replace James Marshall with I would uh with uh the hiccup from how to treat your dragon. What's his name? <laughs> Wait, woo? <laughs> um, shoot. No, it wouldn't work because you said it had to be someone from that from era. From the era, yeah. So it has to be. Oh, someone. okay. The Ray Liotta one. I mean, no, I even think Ray Liotta would be too old at the time in '92. But that would. Well, he, yeah, uh, he makes well, he makes Goodfellas in '90, which is also when Twin Peaks starts. So I, I have one, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I don't know. He was on. He was on. He was in his twenties, so he was in Growing Pains in '92, '93. So he was a teenager, so it would have worked. Maybe. Or, like, low-key Joseph Gordon-Levitt, maybe. Oh, when he was fat in Angels in the Outfield, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, Yeah, moving on to the best supporting player of the film. Um, This was actually a little tough. Jack, I- I'm going to make you go first here. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's tough because, like, there's really just, like, a couple like supporting players and then a bunch of just like Dion waiters who were in like maybe one or two scenes and like do really good. And then like, that's it. So, um, so yeah. I, Cause I didn't know the way I wanted to approach it. Cause like, if we're talking like supporting actors, like kind of the easy answer is Ray wise that's where I'm at too. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. I think he, Honestly, across the show, I think his performance is kind of underrated. I think he, just like the way that he like switches like from like persona to persona, even when we don't know about it, like back in the show and in this movie, like when we know it, it makes like all that stuff a lot more effective. And I think his death scene is probably one of the best acted performances in television in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That scene is incredible. Uh, yeah, very, I, I went with Ray Wise as well. Uh I mean, it's very small, but Colin McLaughlin in that two scenes was still great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Colin McLaughlin's always great, though. Yeah, just watch him in Showgirls. That's really like his his elite. My my one of my friends in the college program met him at Disney. He was just walking around Galaxy's Edge. Such a oh, really? really? How did that go? McLaughlin. He was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, was he cool, or he was just like, get away from yeah, me? Apparently, well, like he had people with him. Oh, As okay, okay. We're kind of like, hey, let's not, you know. <laughs> that makes but, sense. But, like, still said hi, so, you know. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's um, big on my bucket list. Uh, all right, yeah. And then uh, the Becky O'Shea Icebox MVP. Is there anyone but Cheryl Lee here? Do you guys have anyone else? We're, go- we're, going, we're going by MVP, like, best actor in the movie, or most important person revolving around it all? No, just best performance, everything. And as a whole, oh. it's Laura Palmer and Cheryl Lee. I mean, that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want a good MVP, you can give it to, I think, David Lynch 2's direction in this. But, yeah, Cheryl Lee, absolutely. <laughs> I'd, say, or, uh, I'd say also... No, yeah. 
Uh, I was going to say, make, make it a trifecta, throw Angelo in there too. Uh, but yeah, in terms of performances, it's, it's Cheryl's Lee, Cheryl Lee's show and it's not even close. Yeah, I concur. And then we get to our final category before we finish up. Peaks and Valley, who peaked with this movie? I'm going to say Cheryl Lee. I don't think she pretty much, it's, it's cam, cameo appearances there. And then um, a big, big, big that I'm not going to say what movie is from she makes a cameo in in the future i think brett may know what movie i'm talking about but uh it's a david lynch movie that she makes a big cameo and if you don't know it i'll send it to you in chat uh and dm because i didn't notice this cameo until my most recent watch of this movie and it it's really effective when you when you watch it um do you have anything else jack anything else that peak twin peaks did that peak here that, that that's one of the things I'd written down. Uh, I had a question mark next to it though, because is it my like favorite part of the story? No, but I think the more I like the more I've watched it, the more I've like really appreciated like like I've I mentioned earlier, like it's such a departure from like what I loved so much about the Twin Peaks. Like I don't get Dale Cooper like having a great day at drinking his black coffee, but what I do get is something that's a lot more dark and something that like has grown on me both times I've watched it. Uh, the other thing I had on here, um, and there's really only one other contender that really makes me like take pause movies inspired by TV shows. This is the best one. I would, it, it, I, it's probably yeah. this in Downton Abbey to be honest with you. <laughs> well, the one that like made me make hesitation, like I don't love it. But in terms of like the argument that we're oh, making, oh, you're gonna say me! I know what you're gonna say. Star that... Trek. Oh. Yeah, that's that's the only other one that like came to mind because like Down Abbey's good, but oh, I was thinking um, End of Evangelion for a lot of people. That's a big one too. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. Wait, yeah. what? Wait, what? You know Evangelion, Evangelion like the anime? Oh, okay. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not familiar at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like considered like one of like I think it's like in the top forty on Letterbox or something like that. Oh my god! Interesting. Yeah, and it's based off of the anime. So, what's I mean, it's not a question pertaining to Twin Peaks, but what do you think is the worst TV turnover to movie? Hmm. Yogi Bear. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think the right answer is probably Alvin and the Chipmunks, Yogi Bear, all those like the Smurf. But if I'm really thinking. But if I'm really thinking of like live action shows turned over to movies, I mean, I like the show Entourage a lot, but that movie is not really that good. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's what I've heard. I've only seen the show, but like my dad's a really huge Entourage fan, and he he said he almost walked out of that movie. It's worth. I mean, it, it'll be worth it when you get to the end because it's a real uh, a real moment for Johnny drama. So that's all I'll say there. (laughs) And then uh, for Val, do you have anything for Peaks or uh, Brett? Or do you think that would be just Shirley here? I think, honestly, and this is kind of a hot take up, might be a peak for David Lynch, just to be honest. I think this is his best movie, which I know. (sighs) If Mulholland Drive didn't come out. I I, I will say, if you want to compare. I like like this movie significantly more than Mulholland Drive. And I know that's a take. I like Mulholland Drive. I think it's a little derivative of Twin Peaks. So, oh, I, I, well, yeah, because you yes. know, you know, Mulholland Drive was supposed to be a spinoff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I, and I get that, but it's still that that movie rings a lot of like, oh, this is Twin Peaks, but I don't 
care about the characters. <laughs> you know? Dang. Um, yeah. I, I get I get the appeal. Like, it's good. I, don't get me wrong. It's good. But I still think this one, this one shook me more. Well, I will say, like, this one, this shook me, this shake me more. I do think it's close. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Mulholland Drive by a mile. I do think it's mm-hmm. close. So, I, uh, what were you going to were you gonna ask, Chuck? I was going to say, like, I'm guessing your answer would change if you just looped in that three-year stretch altogether, the first few seasons of Peaks and Firewalk with me. Would you say that's Peak Lynch, or would you still say 2001? Nah, then I actually would say this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think this is Peak Lynch. Now, when yeah. you put it in that way, yeah, I actually think you're right. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting to say, because he got an Oscar if, nomination. If, if, there, if there was a bigger like stretch between them, I would totally just like let it lie. But them being like three years... Or like all taking place within three years of each other, like that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mentioned it also being like the I, I heard it. I can't remember what article I heard it in, it, but it pisses me off because I love it. But it was described as the first water cooler show that people would talk about, like the next day at work, like when they're in the break room. Yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah, the, I mean, I would say the return is not a peak, but more on the I. By the way, I still got it. Yeah. Moment for, mm-hmm. for for lunch. Uh, but no, I actually do, I would agree with you guys. I think this is a, the peak, this three-year run. Uh, for Valley... Well, I, I yeah. argue that it's a peak for Keith or Sutherland. I don't I don't watch 24, so I'll let you guys battle it out. So. <laughs> like, because so 24, like, I've seen all of 24, actually. It is... It, it's a decent show that starts off really well and then gets very derivative, because what can you do with that premise? But if you look at Keith or Sutherland beforehand, you know... He's in Stand By Me. He's in The Lost Boys. And then around this time, he's in Twin Peaks, and then he's in A Few Good Men, you know? So it's like, I feel like this is probably a peak for him at his artistic capability up until he kind of gets supplanted doing a show with a gimmick for 10 years, you know? So if I'm going to say I would agree with you because that's probably my favorite Sutherland because I've never seen 24 and I really don't have any interest like, like it's kind of what you said on the derivative. I feel like every episode is kind of, and it also it's kind of the same, and it also falls under the you guys. You guys are lucky not to li- grow up with this, but the fact that I had to grow up with twenty two episode dramas every week, every yeah. it, it's a lot. There's a lot of nonsensical bullshit that's put into these episodes just to get the storyline to twenty two episodes. Uh, so I, I I see where you're coming from there. Any other hot takes? That's a good one. Not a hot take actually, but or is this peak David Bowie? Uh, I mean, he made Ziggy Stardust in the 70s, so I want to say it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. Low station to station, I mean... Are you talking about acting-wise, probably, but what else was he in acting? Well, no, Labyrinth, never mind. Yeah, he was in Labyrinth, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jack, anything else? Uh, not for Peaks, no. Alright, so for Valley, I actually just have Twin Peaks as a brand. I think Twin Peaks is more popular than ever now. Uh, the yeah. prequel, sequel, rebranding, um, and Jacques Renault's. Now we have our own Jacques Renault here, so that's age. That that's the valley there. Um, and I think David Lynch too. I think David Lynch is pretty much considered one of the greatest of all time now, rather than just the, you know, you have the vocal minority, but I think the majority of cinef- real cinephiles and people that take this stuff seriously or look at lynch and consider him one of the greatest uh yeah, yeah that's what what i got yeah he's so wholesome just doing the weather every day <laughs> jack have you have i shown you the weather stuff oh i i found it on my own oh so, show me that yeah 
There is a Wait, video. I just we've gone this whole podcast without you doing your David Lynch. That's kind of whack. Oh man, hold on. I don't think we've talked about Gordon Cole either. <laughs> Gordon, Gordon, I fucking love Gordon Cole. I don't know why I forgot to put him in age. What I, I love <laughs> that character. It, what was it? He said something. He said something in the movie that he kept repeating over and over again. What the fuck was it? Oh man, I can't remember. But every every time he talks like this. It makes me laugh so much. Yeah, he he is God. I I I love to. He's so he's so funny. Yeah, go, um, Gordon Cole, age age the best. Forgot to mention that. Um, yeah. yeah, and then that's all I have on valleys here. Anything else you want to add on? Like, what do you think has, in terms of legacy wise, has gotten better with the movie as or any anyone partaking in it? Nothing? Great. All right. So let me go to some theories that I've... I'm not going to go through everything, but just I only took out three here. Uh, there's a popular theory uh, from John Thorne at Blue Rose Magazine about the first act of uh, Fire Walk With Me claiming that Dear Meadow's sequence is actually Dale Cooper's dream, his subconscious re-examining of Teresa Banks' murder, and that Chet Desmond is a projection of Cooper's dream himself. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, the electricity one that I mentioned before. So electricity delivers illumination, but equally threat and danger. When electricity falters to darkness and strange events commence in Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks fluctuates like the fluorescent light in the morgue between such dualistic tensions and realities. The fact that controls us. Uh, I don't know why all people aren't fascinated with it. It makes beautiful sounds. It makes a lot of... Uh, this is a quote from Lynch. It makes a lot of time some incredible light. It runs many things in our world, and be, and it's beautiful. It's sometimes dangerous, but it's magical. It's such a power, and it can make some beautiful images and sounds, which coincides with the video. If you guys want to find it, it's on YouTube by Twin Perfect, and it's four hours and 15 minutes of just a dissection of Twin Peaks and how electricity is a central theme to not just the movie, but the entire series. Interesting stuff there. Um, and then just to finish up, I have some quick little facts for, regarding the movie. According to Ro Robert Engels, him and David Lynch originally conceived this film to be the first in a trilogy exploring the mythology of the Black Lodge. To that effect, the two inserted four characters of as wait the two inserted four characters as outs with which to continue the story: Agent Cooper, Philip Jeffries, Garland Briggs, and Ed and Chester Dam. Desmond, the critical box office failure led to the uh, abandoning the plan for the sequels. But using those four, I think that would have been pretty cool. Just getting more David Bowie in there would have been pretty interesting. Yeah. This one, I know we haven't talked about him, Jack, but I, I'm sure you were curious where Ben Horn was. Richard Baymore. Yeah, yeah fucking Tony. So he de he declined to participate actually because there was a scene where Ben was forced was going to force Laura to kiss him in exchange for a bag of cocaine, and Baymer felt that there had uh, been no buildup for that character of Horn, who confesses his love to Laura in the series to extort Laura, and as a result, uh, he decided not to join the project. Huh. Hmm. I think I think that's actually good. I think that would have been weird. Yeah, because like. You, I got the feeling like like they were involved, but like that seems like a little bit like too much of a stretch to like the involvement that like I assumed they had because like 
going back to spoilers, I guess, like they talk about him being a suspect in a lot of the show, but as it turns out being like not too much of the case. So, yeah. And that was also the case for a lot of other characters. Like there is a whole list of like Twin Peaks returnees who got cut simply because like their stories and like what they had to do in the movie, like didn't really intertwine with Laura Palmer. So, um, in terms of Cheryl Lee's performance, uh, the crew said she gave everything she had. She gave more than she could afford to give, and she spent years coming back. Uh, we all already talked about her uh, her performance. Uh, when Lauren James, you'll find this out, Jack, bright noses. When Lauren James are talking in the woods about Bobby killing someone, Laura sees something in the woods that makes her scream. In 2017's The Return, you'll actually find out what Laura saw. Yeah, that was mm. insane. I love that. I fucking <laughs> love that. Heck? How are we playing this out like this? Yeah. It, and I and you know it's funny when that scene happened. I'm like, I see it. Lynch probably had that in mind the, the whole fucking time. Yeah. By the way, um, I love the finale of The Return. That final moment really like just chills do you like it or, or were you kind of like ah uh... oh no i love it i think it's great it's interesting i watched it i watched all twin peaks with my dad yeah you know and whenever we watched the return he was just like so he didn't end it again <laughs> yeah yeah like, but i would have felt wrong if he did you know i wouldn't have he, felt like twin peaks have been just wrapped up he pretty much took control back he's like now you don't know shit jack you're like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> I, I think it's a fantastic fun fantastic finale and a fantastic final shot uh pay attention there's a lot of whispers in that final shot that's all that's all i'll say there <laughs> um cheryl lee is very proud of the film she actually says i've had many people victims of incest approach me since the film was released so glad that it had been made because it helped uh them release a lot uh in retrospect david lynch has said i feel bad that fire walk with me did no business and that a lot of people hate the film but i really like the film it had a lot of baggage but it's as free as experimental as it could be within the, within uh, the dictates it had to follow. Uh, shout out to Sunset Boulevard and uh, David Lynch's love for that movie. Chester De- Desmond is yet another reference to Sunset Boulevard. His name is his. He is named after Norma Desmond, who is inspired by uh, who also inspired Norma Jennings. It's also featured a character named Gordon Cole. Let me Makes see what. Sense. Yeah. Uh, several critics saw the opening sequence, a close-up of a television set to a blank channel, which is which is then smashed as a postmodern comment by Lynch saying that he was breaking away from television and the constraints of a television series. Interesting. And this is the one that I know you uh, – we haven't talked about it yet, Jack, but this is the one that angered me. So Quentin Tarantino in a, 19- <laughs> in a 1992 interview said, after I saw Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me at Cannes, David Lynch had disappeared so far up his own ass that I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. And you know I loved him. I loved him. Jack, go ahead. Yeah, we, I mean, we were talking about this off the line, but, like, great of a writer and director he is. He's got some interesting takes, to say the least. Um, but it's also weird because, like, at the same time, he's, like, this encyclopedia of movies so he like also has a lot more stuff to like compare to so he's somebody whose like opinions i've always like kind of wanted to pick the brain of because he's got like such a eclectic taste of movies but yeah 
I, I'm sure. Oh, Lone Ranger is the best movie of 2013. So crazy. <laughs> and as a horror fan, he thinks the best Friday the 13th is part five. The one that doesn't have Jason as the killer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a pivotal scene that's in that whole hour and 30 minute section is reveals the fate of Annie Blackburn, which is like really depressing. If you've never seen it, Jack, she pretty much is sent to a hospital and is discovered that she was, uh, wearing the hour ring that belonged to Teresa Banks and Laura Palmer. She basically goes crazy and is left in the, in the asylum. Uh, the movie originally ended shows Dale sitting in the black lodge, comforting Laura as she entered. It then cuts to the last scene of the TV series, with Harry breaking down the door of the bathroom and finding Dale smashing his head in the mirror. Dale tries to act like nothing happened, but is dragged off to bed. This is to confirm that it was Dale's doppelganger that escaped uh, the Black Lodge. All right. Anything else with here? There's a lot here. All right. Oh, yeah. And then the film contains a dream sequence in which Annie says the line, the good Dale's in the lodge. Uh, this was originally intended to set up the two other films that uh, did not happen. So, yeah. After this movie, we had to wait 25 years for Twin Peaks to return. I'm glad I didn't wait 25 years because that would have <laughs> driven me insane. I got to say, uh, I think Twin Peaks to return is very challenging. It's a very challenging watch, but I think it's a very rewarding watch. Uh, if you can get through Dougie, you're going to get, you're going to go through this just fine. We, I love Dougie. You good boy. <laughs> We love Dougie. Dougie's good. Dougie is funny because Dougie, I hated him when I first met him. And then by the time he has to, you know, this, he has this scene with Naomi Watts towards the end. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of, I'm kind of miss Dougie. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, uh, that wraps up everything for this retrospective on Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Guys, thank you so much for being with us. Jack, if you want to plug your huge. Yeah, you can check us all out on the Critic Circle on Instagram as well as the League of Cinephiles. And Brett. Hey, yeah, you can um, follow my page at Toybox underscore Productions. You know, we try to look at art and media through an empathetic and emotional landscape. And so we have a lot of projects coming up. And it's going to be really cool. So you guys should definitely check that out. Um, I also have a meme page that's fake news articles <laughs> just started that today if i'm correct i saw that I follow i was like all right i'll make sure i'll make sure to follow it <laughs> um, quite, and, good, quite good stuff so far and then you, you i appreciate it and then you can follow me at realtalking.com you can find my work on the site you can find my work also on Ron tomatoes and uh mamasgeeky.com and as always you can follow me on on instagram on, on real talk and on twitter at real talk and if you want to follow my personal page on my council mania but yeah brett thank you so much for joining us jack as always it's always been a pleasure uh, next week, we're going to continue our dive into horror as we look at Near Dark on the next episode of Chop Talk. Nice. Until then, stay away from the Black Lodge, kids. <laughs>